We have to go back! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And yippee ki movie lovers! Oh. We are in a new month, the month of February, which we have always said in the podcast is basically just a sequel to January. So it is a time in the podcast where we exclusively review movie sequels to movies that we have reviewed here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. And we are kicking off sequel with the one, the only... Die Hard 2. Yes, because sequelary to us is the most wonderful time of the year. It so is. we got to find a movie that just fits <laughs> other people's most wonderful time of the year right in alongside uh, it. Very that. Very that. And so that is the movie that we are going to review to kick off this episode. But before we get into anything, uh, wanted to give a quick shout out to, I- I'd say they are in the family of the Retro Movie Podcast. Family. Fa- it's family. We are giving a quick shout out to the podcast Retro Movie Roundtable. Russell has joined the podcast before and Grayson has been on the Retro Movie Roundtable before. I will be on in a future episode. And so... We wanted to give you a quick introduction to another amazing podcast. So, take a listen. In a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them, these brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade ago and beyond, as they revisit and break down quality films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. The Retro Movie Roundtable podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming soon to headphones in your ears. So go ahead and give the Retro Movie Roundtable a listen. They have really fun, long-form discussions about movies, and they get into it. And it's such a fun time every time we get to be on the podcast, but it's also a real joy to listen. So thanks, y'all. Yeah. I uh, I enjoyed my time uh, when we reviewed Cool Runnings together. That was fun. Uh, and man, that feels like forever ago. So it's nice that you got to reconnect with Russell and crew because it's always a good time. So uh, Die Hard 2, it's a sequel to Die Hard. Die Hard made so much money. It made all of the money. And so what happens in the 90s, especially, or I should say the 80s, especially, if you make a movie that makes millions, you get several more millions to make more millions. Ah, the snowball effect. That's why they had so much snow. It was from that that effect. That's it. Uh, For the original Die Hard, just a recap, original budget, 25 million. It went on to make 139 million. And so many more millions. Yeah. So they decided to make Die Hard 2, which was actually adapted from Walter Wager's uh, 1987 novel, movie novel, sticking with it, 58 minutes. Which is Uh, interesting because the first Die Hard was based on a different novel by a different guy. That was by Roderick Thorpe. Uh, He wrote Nothing Lasts Forever. Yes. So the idea of having the same character in these different novels, different authors, very interesting. Yeah, I, I thought that was super fascinating. Uh, so this movie uh, was, you know, received by 
millions. People love this movie. It had a budget of 62 to $70 million, and it went on to make a sequel's amount of money over $240 million. Now, this movie is often referred to as Die Harder because of the movie poster. So, uh, you remember uh, Edge of Tomorrow, a.k.a. Oh, yeah. Live, Die, Repeat the movie? Mm-hmm. Die Harder was the original Live, Die, Repeat. Because people would go to the theaters and be like, oh, yeah, a ticket for Die Harder. They're like, you mean Die Hard 2? And they're like, oh. I think you know exactly what I mean. Do you have another movie running with those two <laughs> words in it? I don't know what the problem is. Uh, and it continues to, um, you know, inspire the Die Hard franchise. After Die Hard 2, there was Die Hard with a Vengeance mm-hmm. in 1995, Live Free or Die Hard in 2007, and A Good Day to Die Hard in 2013 uh and so this is a sec this is a sequel that made this a trilogy that then made it a series so it's a linchpin movie oh got it yeah and uh i'm i'm happy that they went away from the number system Mm -hmm. after this Um, but it does cause me to constantly have to google which one comes next Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because you're like wait Will he die hard with a vengeance? Secondly? It's like, when when does he have that good day? <laughs> right. And when is he living free or doing something else? Kind of all the time. So that's why you got to look it up. Yeah, that's why. Sure. Yeah. A, a piece of trivia that I thought was absolutely fascinating. It's like the top of the page on IMDb. And, oh, I just, I love trivia. So Black and Decker paid to have its cordless drill featured in a scene with Bruce Willis. And then the scene ended up getting cut. (laughs) The company sued 20th Century Fox for the first ever product placement lawsuit for a film. And the $150,000 clay was settled out of court. And I think that that is just fantastic. Well, well, in all fairness, it was just a bit part. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, and okay. the first ever pun to be made after a lawsuit. Oh, Black first and Decker made... <laughs> product placement lawsuit pun. Yeah. Uh, so Die Hard 2 brings back everyone's favorite characters. We have Bruce Willis uh, and Bonnie Badella. And we have Reginald Vell Johnson. Oh. I just cheered. So happy to see him in this movie, even for just one scene. Yep. I mean, sure. Some may say it's force fit. I say it's the exact right kind of fit. Yes. Uh, Because you got to connect it to the previous movie for it to feel like they have a history. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 It's just good to see him. Oh, man. I I wanted more, but I was happy to have what I had in the movie. Uh, And then they had uh, several other actors who joined the cast. We have William Atherton, uh, William Sadler, John Amos, uh, Dennis Franz, which I was just like, (laughs) ho, 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 ho. Yes. As soon as I saw him, I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. Get me some NYPD Blue. I need it right now. Let's do this. NYPD Blue. Tom Bauer, uh, Sheila McCarthy. Uh, and many, many more. I mean, the, the cast is really strong. And uh, if you need a brief synopsis of Die Hard 2, uh, I'm just going to read the back of my DVD, which has such special features as 
widescreen format, interactive menus, scene selections, you know. Just to watch the Reginald Val Johnson scene, (laughs) you got to skip right to it. Right. All right, so here is the synopsis. On a snowy Christmas Eve in the nation's capital, a team of terrorists have seized a major international airport and now holds thousands of holiday travelers hostage. The terrorists, a renegade band of crack military commandos led by a murderous rogue officer, have come to rescue a drug lord from justice. They've prepared for every contingency. Except one, John McClane, an off-duty cop seized by a feeling of deadly deja vu. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Um, all accurate. This is actually my first time watching this movie. Me too. Like, I've, I've seen... I've only seen the first one several times. I know I've seen parts of the first one for sure. I've seen zero parts of this one. Uh, but I feel like I've seen parts of the other ones because I remember the one with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. I think that's Die Hard that's with a Vengeance. One. Okay. Yep. And then I saw clips of the newer ones when they were being released. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one, more than any other movie, and I don't even think it's a headcanon thing, uh, but I noticed something about John McClane in this specific movie that made me realize that John McClane as an action hero, and I think maybe any action hero, actually, I'm going to stick with John McClane. John McClane as an action hero works best when he is following Bugs Bunny rules. Uh, So popping up out of the ground, (laughs) popping up out of the ground, (laughs) eating carrots, saying, what's up, Doc? Uh, So here's the interesting thing about Bugs Bunny that no one asked for. Uh, there were several rules, ser- several character rules for Bugs Bunny uh, during the Chuck Jones era when they were animating and writing the stories for him. Uh, one of the big stories is that uh, Bugs Bunny can never start a fight. Oh, okay. Bugs Bunny can never start a fight because otherwise he's a bully. Like if right. ju- bu- like Bugs Bunny needs to be able to retaliate. Yep. Otherwise, he like people are going to root for him per se. Yeah, you can't so, have Bugs Bully, no one's, right? No, one's no that, that's it's too alliterative and yeah, it's well. too hard to say. Um, so <laughs> they, uh, I thought that was interesting because this movie versus the first Die Hard, the first Die Hard, John McClane, he's just at this hotel and then this attack happens and he's like, oh my gosh, like I got to do something because he's an off duty cop and he's doing this. But in this movie. He kind of instigates his meddling, which made me feel different for him. I'm just like, I mean, you kind of asked for this. I mean, it's not like they intruded on you doing something. He's just like, oh, well, I just can't help but be observant of this thing. And then he kind of insists that he is pursuing this thing versus it being like, oh, they provoked him. It's not like he was holding a gift for his wife and it's the same wrapping paper and he opens it up. He's like, oh no, this is C4. And then he like gets involved. I just thought that that was really interesting because I wanted to root for him more, but I think the reason I wasn't was because of the Bugs Bunny rule. Well, maybe this will help. The thing that he was trying to do was pick his wife up from the airport. Right. He could not do that yes. though, because they hijacked her plane. Right. And kept it in the air. So really they did instigate him because he's like, if you had let my wife's plane land and maybe not towed my car, we we would have gone. But uh, I think it, it's yeah. not until he realizes like at first he's like, there's there's weird stuff going on. But then when he's like, that's my wife's plane up there and yeah. she's in trouble. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's when we get back into the rhythm of they 
they really started it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I, and you brought up two points. One, I completely forgot about the car thing. Cause even though that's the opening scene, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. He is stranded there. Which is uh, so beautiful because they pack his entire backstory into 15 seconds. Cause he has to explain it to a cop. Yeah. He's like, you know, I'm a cop. I was there. Now I'm here doing this. We're all on the same page. You saw the first movie. Please yep. don't tow my car. Yeah. Uh, great way to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and and honestly, this movie is so interesting to watch in a post-9-11 world because oh, yeah. this movie wouldn't be made today. Uh, so I feel like we're going to have very limited conversations about it uh, <laughs> later on in the podcast. But it was so fascinating how they were like doing all of these uh, very intricate, very elaborate storytelling about this fictional scenario of this uh, someone getting control of this rate of this uh, airplane tower and all these different things that all these moving parts. And so I'm like, wow, like this is so much a nineties movie. It's almost a how to. Yeah. Oh man. Let me tell you my favorite moment in this movie. Was it's... it naked yogurt with wild Bill Overbeck <laughs> from rocket man? Probably not. Uh, second Part favorite bummed me out. No pun intended. <laughs> Uh, was the moment when Miss McLean, played by Bonnie Bedella, said, Wake up, wake up, John. It's the 90s. You know, microwaves, microchips, fax machines. And I said, yeah. Here we go. And they say it unironically. It's 1990. And, you know, you watch these things that, like, Stranger Things, where mm -hmm. it takes place in the 80s, and you're like, nobody in that time period talked about that much 80s stuff in the 80s. Wrong. False. That yep. was me. I did that. Yep. Like, that. they yep. are absolutely just talking about, and we do the same thing. We talk about iPads and iPhones and all that mm -hmm. all the time. So, to see them without any kind of tongue-in-cheek just being like, yeah. This is the tech of the 90s. It felt like a 90s time capsule. Really like, oh, yeah. you want to see what life was like at an airport in 1990? Watch Die Hard 2. Yep. People fax stuff. They use landlines. They have plane phones. And they smoke in the airport. Oh, yeah. Because I'm just like, that was the night. Because it was like 1990-90, which I always say that the first two <laughs> years of a decade is always just a hangover of whatever the previous decade was. Right. So yeah. I was like, oh. Okay, but like 90? Like, he's just like, oh, just 90. like in an airport, you can just, so, okay, all right. Yeah, well. 1990 was basically the late 80s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And, uh, and, and so the, the movie, the movie, I think the, the setting of the 90s is so strong. Like, I think that's the only way I, I would really imagine this movie to be remade mm -hmm. is if they said, yeah, one time in the 1990s, this story happened. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we could be there. We can be on board with that. So when I, when I was first watching this movie, I had a, a level of excitement that I don't really get for movies I haven't seen uh, because of all the groundwork that they were laying. Because like as soon like once that line about the 90s was made, I'm like, oh, oh, I think I know exactly what ride I'm on. It's like waiting in line, and then you realize that you're about to go on like... Like, oh, this is a water ride? Okay, <laughs> buckle up. And so I just I just loved all the things that they were doing because they were hitting on so many of these action movie tropes uh, that like you're almost like looking forward to it. 
It's just like, oh, he's watching. Oh, I bet, I bet you they're going to have a real big altercation. Yeah. And then, like, you see certain shots, like when the first action scene with John McClane and uh, the two uh, people at the uh, airport, and they're in the Toy Story 2 ba- uh, baggage luggage. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, what, what are they called? Things. Yeah, conveyor yeah. belts. When John McClane looked over at the bicycle, and I was just like, he's going to get on the bicycle and attack this dude with the bicycle. And then it happened. I was just like, I want this movie to not end. I just want more of this. And they just kept on doing things. And this movie went in such a direction that I wasn't expecting. Like, I want to say almost half the time I did not know what was going on. They were Mm -hmm. talking about stuff in ways I'm just like, I don't even know what's happening. I don't know who is who. I don't know who wants what. Uh, I, I, I know that there were terrorists taking over uh, this airport so they could rescue this guy who was going to face justice. I didn't know why. I didn't know why they wanted that to happen. It's all political, Ricky. We don't really get into that here. It's just, <laughs> I was uh, just, well, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know the motivation for anyone. I didn't know why they were trying to go out of their way to do things. I didn't know why the, I mean, super spoiler, uh, there was a Jacuzzi, uh with uh, a General Grant or Colonel Grant. Uh, whatever his ranking position major. type major. Thank you, major. It's Grant. a major spoiler. <laughs> it's a major spoiler. Uh, with Major Grant, I didn't know why he would do that other than like, yeah, we're friends. I'm like, sure, Army sure, sure, buddies. whatever, whatever. Which is why he told that guy, he's like, too bad you're not our friend. You weren't in Granada with us, then. Yeah, major spoiler. Yeah, major spoiler. <laughs> Uh, I, I just loved it. Like, I really, really enjoyed the movie because I, I feel like at one point in time, you can look at this movie and be like, huh, I don't think they did. They didn't make as many strong choices as the first Die Hard. Like, as far as a sophomore a- album goes, it's just like, eh, it kind of hit a, a little bit of a slump. But for me, for me, I was on board from like the 90s. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. Like, no, I, oh, I love oh, it. I get it. Yeah, I felt like it It was even bigger than the first movie just because it's less contained. You have the airport, but that is also affecting the people in the sky, which you didn't have that element in the first one. And so the there's very personal stakes. That's what I appreciated about it is there is a history between all the key players. So everything from like his wife being in the air and that's, that's his main motivator to, to get her safely back to ground. Uh, but then how she knows the guy from the first one, the reporter up there and gives them something to build on. And even, uh, you know, major grant and, uh, wild bill overbeck, uh, that they know each other as well. So, all of that feels like we don't have to do as much meeting for the first time yeah. and lets us just jump straight into the action for most of it. Um, but not so much that you feel like you're rehashing the first movie only to the appropriate degree <laughs> that he acknowledges. Like, why am I? It's like the hangover too. And they're like, yeah. how is it happening again? Another basement, another elevator. How can the same shirt happen to the same guy twice? No idea. But it does. I actually have some theories about that later mm. on. But I uh, I just felt like John McClane was able to be John McClane 
even more in this one where the dialogue's great and he's all out of chlorine and uh, yeah. <laughs> even his finger uh, print trick where he goes to the body and gets the feet. I mean, that's really what gave him the information he needed. Yep. And so he, he uses that charm and charisma plus all of his cop street smarts to really tackle problems that are out of his depth. That's all I need from this movie. And it is uh, so entertaining every time. Yeah. And it was also interesting to kind of see the world grow a little bit. I mean, I know not many people use this movie as a positive reference, but I kind of got a little bit of Spider-Man 3 vibes where it's just like from the first movie, he became kind of a celebrity. He's like John McClane. Everyone's like, yeah, the guy from the news. Right. Yeah. You crazy SOB. What are you doing here? Oh, my God. Can I get a picture? Like a, almost like a self-portrait, but like. I'm taking it. Don't I don't want someone else to take it. Can I it. get a selfaroid? <laughs> so Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna lock that <laughs> right lock that down. I'm gonna buy that domain. Yeah, I liked how they kind of built the world where okay, now we have this almost celebrity person who is trying to step into the situation, mm-hmm. partly because he wants to do the right thing, but also because I feel like he is trying to live up to his reputation that he now has created for himself uh so he's not necessarily as much of an underdog as he was when he was just you know in a tank top with bloody feet uh the whole movie he's like okay well you know i'm john mcclain i'm the guy who stopped this uh the Hiroshima attack not Hiroshima what is it called that really would have been something that if he would have stopped that I mean that's like Wolverine level yeah that is something that you put on the very top of your uh resume superhero resume yeah (laughs) uh no uh Nakatomi uh, Plaza so he's like I'm John McClane the guy who stopped Nakatomi Plaza uh or did he stop anything did he cause more damage you decide, but I'm the John McClane who saved the Nakatomi Plaza. Um, and you know, like, I feel like that's as big of a motivator for him as you know, him keeping his family safe and uh, everything else. Hmm. Yeah, it is odd the celebrity of it changes because before, if he had said John McClane, Hans Gruber's like, who's that? But now, whenever Dennis Franz yells his name over the speaker. That's when everyone's like, "Oh, we got John McClane!" Oh, ho, ho, ho. who yeah. look look who stepped on the set today? We have John McClane. All right, and so yeah, and that goes back to people already knowing each other to a certain degree. We don't right. we don't have to have a scene where the bad guys learn who John McClane is. They're like, "Oh, John McClane, yeah, uh, from the news. Got it." Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'd be like if every time Superman stops someone, he's like, here's the thing. I'm from Krypton. It blew up. Now I'm here and I'm strong. And like, yeah, we know who you are. You're Superman. Yeah, we got it, Soups. Thanks for the exposition. Uh, so since this was both our first time watching this movie, yeah. based on what you know about Die Hard, was there anything that you noticed this time around that you wouldn't have guessed? Yeah, I never really hear a lot about this Die Hard. I hear way more about the first one and about Die Hard with a Vengeance. Um, and so I didn't know if that was an indicator of quality or what. I didn't know what to expect. 
but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I thought that having been uh, to both locations for Die Hard 1 and Die Hard 2 now, um, this is why I don't fly Dulles. I just don't. Yeah, I mean, you really want to do Reagan if you're going to yeah. fly into D.C. It's yeah, just, yeah. it's more centralized now and... You know, Dallas clearly has its own issues. So I was able to appreciate that side of it, uh, of being like, yeah, I've been to that place. Um, but I think it's just building on who John McClane is. Now, I haven't seen the later diehards, and I assume we'll get there eventually, but I can I can see the trajectory based on how kind of like Deadpool break the fourth wall it was at times where he's like, how is this happening again? Um, where he could get to the point where he's like, this is ridiculous. I'm, I, I'm not going to be able to keep doing this. Like I can kind of see where it's going and I, uh, at least I think I can. And so seeing those breadcrumbs, knowing that like, I'm not watching this in 1990 being like, great, this is the most recent diehard knowing he's got more, right. uh, a lot more. I think just makes it that much more fun because conceivably they could have pulled a huge twist on the audience and being like, we're going to kill him at the end of the second one. Like, right. You don't know. Like really they could, they could just make a crazy choice like that and kill the franchise. Yeah. Um, but it's die hard. Like, yeah, he's, he's gotta, it's gotta be difficult. Yeah. For him My- to perish. One of my favorite scenes was when he's stuck in the uh, the cockpit and they are throwing grenades. Oh, one of the craziest things one I've ever seen. One of the most insane moments in a movie I've ever seen. I'm like, what are they? Because at first I'm like, okay, they're shooting at him. And I am playfully kind of giving the movie a little bit of razz. I'm like, why don't you throw a grenade in there? And then he says... How many grenades we got? And he's like, one each. He's like, throw them all. I'm like, I oh. heard you, Bastion. I oh, heard you. oh, no. And then when they did, I'm like, how is he going to get out of this? And then he gets out of it. And I'm like, this movie is giving me, it's like, it is a Christmas movie because it's like, hey, you think you want one thing and then it gives you so much more. Oh, you have a interesting relationship with christmas and movies yeah i I see it as a christmas movie not just because it's at christmas uh but because it really determines who's naughty or nice that's really what this is about no that that cockpit grenade scene is so nuts and i mean i was nervous that the i mean of course the it had to open but it's like it's a crashed plane conceivably he could try to eject and just impact his spine on (laughs) if the cockpit doesn't open correctly um it's real compressed like an accordion that's bugs bunny uh but when he blows out of that thing what did that did did that remind you that shot Mm -hmm. did that remind you of anything ricky it did Uh i just couldn't pinpoint i'm just like why do i have deja vu about this i think to me that was 100 percent dark man like when he yep. <laughs> becomes dark man blows up You're i was like right. i've seen this shot that before that was dark man oh. it was dark man but the realization of you oh, want to talk about someone who down. died hard oh man he, yeah he died yeah. skin of his teeth skin on his teeth skin on his teeth um and speaking of <laughs> turns of phrases what i really appreciate is that throughout the whole movie john mcclain is on the thinnest of ice and then at the end of the movie he's on the thinnest of ice 
you just can't. Uh, you did it. That's beautiful wow. writing. It, it cannot artful. be emulated. It's, it's art. It really. is artful. That's huh. life imitating language. Is yes. what that is. Yes, it is. Now I really enjoyed this movie, and it was just a ton of fun. A great way to kick off sequelary. I mean, the only thing I think would that would have topped it is if um, at the end of the death of a character again super spoiler uh the after the death of john amos who i i coined the phrase got incredible i think that he would have said something along the lines of just like well looks like you shouldn't have messed with my head cannon i I don't know the turbine kind of looks like a cannon it's not the strongest setup but no i mean if you're a john amos fan you're gonna love john amos in a fan (laughs) That's why you're here, Grayson. You, you pick up the pieces. Thank you. <laughs> pick up the pieces of John Amos. <laughs> uh, Ed Kennett is a part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Yeah. Um, I think my only piece of Head Cannon is just the, the just co- combining worlds that uh, the reason why we don't have Reginald L. Johnson in this. Uh, is because uh, Family Matters was mm. taping, and they're like, ah, oh, well, we can get you for one scene. Is that then... true? Was that the conflict? Uh, no, that's just oh. my headcanon. Oh, right. uh, I forgot what segment we were in. <laughs> we're beyond the factual stuff. I mean, headcanon was uh, headcanon. Family Matters uh, first aired in '89, so there is a chance that, like, mm. that there was a scheduling conflict. Um, but I think that that is what would have uh, prevented him from being more involved. I see. Oh, yeah, probably. And my other piece of combining worlds with also Reginald Bell Johnson. Uh, <laughs> and I love this. I, I, I don't know if we pointed this out this last time, but Reginald Bell Johnson and William Atherton were both in Ghostbusters. Oh yeah. Uh, as Walter Peck. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if we didn't say this last time, uh, saying it, Walter Peck has some uh, some really troublesome family members, and they have some family matters to address. But yeah, just uh, just putting those two together in that diehard exists in the same world as both Ghostbusters and Family Matters. Well, because ghosts die hard. Oh, I mean, that's unfinished business. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to let go. Casper, mm-hmm. Bill Pullman. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I I had two pieces of headcanon for this. The first one was I was so upset by this one particular scene. Yeah, nay monologue within this scene that I immediately wrote this down. I think the real villain of this movie is that lady sitting next to John McClane's wife um, when she says on on the airplane. Oh yeah, when she pulls the taser out which, you know, the 90s, and talks about how she tested it on her dog. And she's, mm-hmm. like, smiling when she's like, he limped for a week. I'm like, you're the villain. If you got Unbreakable touched right now and he could see all your dark secrets, he's coming after you, you're abusing the animals, you're the villain. Um, and I got past it. She ended up just being a little old lady who lets people bleed out in the snow i guess i don't see not a not a great person 
Um, but my main headcanon is that, um, you know, so Major says that uh, John McClane is the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then John McClane says, story of my life. Now, I think Die Hard is Die Hard because this is a final destination scenario. Ooh. He was supposed to die at Nakatomi Plaza. So now, because he didn't, similar events are repeating themselves until death finally catches him. Whoa. Yeah. That, oh, man. And airplanes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I am, Grayson, that is brilliant. That's that's the ultimate villain, death. Wow. The woman on the plane. Wow. That that's just that's so much cross section of both death airports and Devin Sawa, who is also a Casper, ghost. Bill so Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is so good. Thank you, man. Because that that really, I think that that would make a really compelling uh, action movie series if they were to. You know what? Let's just do it. Now we're going to go to the part of the show where we like to talk about recasts and remakes. Recast. Remake. If this movie were to be made today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be this? If they were to recast Die Hard, I would want them to basically combine it with Final Destination and uh, just make it a mashup title. Uh, uh, Die Destination or... um, Die, Die Hard colon Final Destination, uh, where basically someone is supposed to die, uh, and then they don't, and then they just become this action hero who is fighting death literally, and it just becomes a series. And I honestly think it would be a wonderful vehicle for Jason Statham, because uh, oh. basically Crank, but with death being the villain. And he somehow just finds ways to cheat death in all these different ways. Oh, I think that that would yeah. be so fun. That's all we need. All we need. Yeah. Wow. On, on the on the recasting, I don't remember what we did for Die Hard. That's the problem with sequel area is I never remember for repeating ourselves. It's okay. Yep. It's mm-hmm. a rerun. Um, by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, just oh, because yeah. the connection is so tight right like that makes sense and jgl needs a franchise i mean closest that i can think of was him coming in for the last movie of the dark knight trilogy but he needs an ongoing franchise give him die hard um for a remake i you know if they remade this script now Mm -hmm. so not in the 90s but now so many of the same events repeated from the first movie. I, I think it'd be an easy justification to have everything start going down when he's halfway through security. That's why he doesn't have his shoes. He had to take oh, his shoes off to go through done. security checkpoint. That was something else I thought uh, would have been interesting is if it, if all the events were happening earlier, I think that that was another thing that would have connected me, his character a little bit more, but no, I, I, I really like that idea. Uh, Recast wise, I know we just brought him in, uh, but I think Devin Sawa, like Devin Sawa today, based off of his most recent IMDb photo, looks like a young John McClane. 
And oh. so I think that that would be really fun to bring him into the fold there. Uh, and and I here's what I thought you were going to say. Uh, I thought you were going to say, hey, yeah, so a lot of the events really repeat themselves. So I think that they, if they were to be remade today, uh, for them to just take all the same events but just put it on the boat, like Speed 2. <laughs> speed 2. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then, like, someone takes over a cruise ship and mm. it has to go a certain mileage. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I would do the same, but it's a it's a state of the art cruise ship that can do technology things. I mean, I w- I wouldn't put it past them. I, I think die hard that on would a really boat. Work. Die hard on a boat. Die on a boat. I don't know why this kind of struck me, but I, it was in the last act of the movie. I would really love to see someone do a recut that of all the movies, I guess. That only follows John McClane. We never cut away really from him. We only know what he knows. Interesting. And I'm I'm interested to see how that plays because so much of these movies are, you know, the villain scenes too, right? Like Hans mm-hmm. Gruber and and seeing what the Colonel does in this and how he orchestrates everything, like being on the ground and being pretty isolated for most of the movie. I, I'm interested to see how that plays if we just stay with him. I think my hunch is it's even more impressive what his character is able to do with such limited access. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, wow, like that. I had no idea that was even happening, and he's still right. able to counter that. So, yeah, might be a project. Yeah, no, I think that's a really fun project because so much of uh, like him figuring out the whole blanks system, I was just like, it was another point in time in the movie where I'm like, what is happening? I don't care. But like, how, what, how did he figure that out? How did he know that? Uh, and I was just like, and then how did he know that they were going to do the thing? Like it, it was just happening so fast and too fast for my very slow human brain, but I was, I was still on board nonetheless. So I, I would love to see that. Cause that would be really fun. Like almost have like a vantage point edit. of yeah. Like, okay, now here is where John McClane in- intersects with um, with the major's point of view. Yeah, exactly. Because it's such clearly defined storylines that I think it would it'd cut together pretty well. Oh, yeah. All right, now we're going to go into our final segment where we like to give you our reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend Die Hard 2? So I recommend Die Hard to Die Harder uh, because it really delivers on the name that they didn't use. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the action is bigger. It is uh, a more complex story, I think, in terms of how many characters we're following throughout the whole thing, the scope of the location, um, and even just the stakes of how many people are at risk. Like everyone in the air at that time uh, flying into Dulles is at risk. So um, there's a lot more hostages too. So like that's kind of, if you're looking at raising the stakes in the sequel, they exactly deliver on that. It's got genuine twists. Um, I think the um, characterization is really strong. Like Colonel Stewart, it, played by William Sadler, is a very scary villain. Um, he's ruthless. He's willing to sacrifice his own people. Super intense does naked yoga while watching the news like from the very beginning you know this guy isn't playing by everyone else's rules so it is 
uh, you know, an appropriate escalation from the first movie. Um, so if you love Die Hard and you haven't seen Die Hard 2, like we were in that camp, uh, I highly recommend seeing this movie. And in terms of action, Die Hard 2 really lands the plane. Oh, yeah! <laughs> I made a note and I said it. Oh, man. Wow. That was such a smooth landing, Grayson. <laughs> Mine, on the other hand, is bound to have so much turbulence. Uh, I would recommend Die Hard 2 largely because it is a sequel that I think delivers on, I think, almost the lost art of sequels, which is whenever you aren't trying to build out a franchise with every movie from the beginning, is that just like great acting they leave it all on the stage. They're like, listen, we don't care who we have to kill. We don't care what we have to do. We're just going to raise the stakes so ridiculously high. I don't even know if you'll know what's happening. And I like that. I think that there is a lost art in sequels where um, you you put the hero up to challenges, but you're trying to like, save some stuff for the next movie mm -hmm. they, there is nothing saved for the next movie for this no. they're like here's the thing tonight this is the night where everything goes down and ev all the stakes are in real time i mean it's based off of a movie where or it's based off of a novel where they had 58 minutes to solve this uh event so time is already on its side but i just really like those sequels where you want to see your hero face a more difficult challenge with more moving parts and have less control and figure out how they are going to overcome it. And not just so that it can tee up to the next movie um, or the next potential seven or eight movies, but like they make the stakes fitting for this movie and they deliver on that. And then if there is another movie, we can build off of that. And but I just, I just really appreciate that. And it, again, I was so sold on this movie. If you love '90s or late '80s action movies, like Die Hard 2 delivers that, uh, and it will, it will have you entertained until your final destination. Oh yeah no i think you're exactly right and the best uh like example of that in the dialogue from this movie is when he's walking out toward the runway uh when they realize they've raised the the ground so the plane's gonna crash and the guy asks him like what are you going to do and he just turns and says whatever i can i mean that's all he is ever doing throughout all these movies i mean in the first yep. movie his big plan solely hinged on duct tape <laughs> on his back yep uh, and it's that kind of resourcefulness and just it, it doesn't have a big polished plan he is reacting in the moment because he's gonna do whatever he can um yep. and yeah you're right they leave it all out there and that is our review of the 1990 movie die hard 2 1990 this is the first time hearing of it <laughs> It's 
the 90s. Uh, let us know what you remember about Die Hard 2. Or actually, let us know this. Let us know on our social media platforms what you remember this movie as. Do you remember this as Die Hard 2 or Die Harder? Uh, let uh, us know. Pirate Radio. <laughs> Let us know online on all of our social media platforms. We are at Flashback Flicks. Uh, and it would mean so much to us. I, I'd say it would mean a non-towed car to us if you could leave us a rating and review. So on a scale of one to five non-towed cars, mm-hmm. how would you rate this movie? Yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense because if you have five untowed cars, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of cars. No, like right? a, it's like a parking lot. Oh. <laughs> it is indeed. And like we said before, the whole month of February, we are reviewing movie sequels to movies that we have reviewed here on the podcast. We're calling it Sequelary. So make sure you stay tuned in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. <laughs>